0: It appears the entire world is entering a global recession, more and more a globally synchronized recession. But there's a tendency to think, well, while Europe and Asia struggle, what does that have to do with the United States? Well, not only is there a direct risk to the U.S. economy, there's even more direct impact on the U.S. itself. And it's the one that everyone is talking about, the Great Migration banner says exodus from poverty. This column of humanity heading north from the countries of Central and South America and well beyond too. North to the United States because they think the opportunity, the hope is there. We are looking to improve ourselves, to have a better quality of life because in our country, the situation is getting worse and worse. The worse the economy gets outside the United States, the more people want to come to the United States. So even if you think the US economic risk is low because of what GDP and payroll reports say, there is still the impact on the US anyway. As the rest of the world suffers and increasingly suffers as the economy goes in the wrong direction, not only will that hit home around the rest of the world, it is coming home in search of a new home The global economy does impact the US in more ways than one. As these economies around the world fall further into recession or fall into recession, what that shows us is that this weakness that we've been stuck with for quite some time now is not going away. That's maybe the primary takeaway from the United Kingdom, from Germany, from Japan, all of these technical recessions spreading around the world. It's that where, the economy was supposed to be bouncing into a maybe not recovery but at least a better rebound that isn't happening and the, the the perfect example of this is europe where the european commission just last week put out its its latest forecast numbers in which they said yeah guess what the rebound that we keep forecasting well it's now further and further and further delayed but first with the european commission let's go all the way back to October, November of 2022. After a buoyant first half of the year, the pace of economic expansion slowed down in summer. The energy price increases are reverberating throughout the economy, hitting firms with exorbitant cost increases. At the same time, double-digit inflation is eroding households' income and savings at a rate not seen since the 70s. As consumers cut down on spending and firms delay investment plans, a recession this winter is likely. The economic weakness is set to persist throughout the next year being 2023 last year and they were correct on all of that including the fact that europe did indeed fall into recession but they were also they were also right to pick out the the trends in the major in the global economy the major trends in the economy that had developed over the last several years that there was a reopening rebound that created the illusion of prosperity and that momentum carried through the first half of 2022 and then started to reverse really hard, which was not due to rate hikes. But put put yourself in the perspective of somebody outside of Europe or outside the United States, in the emerging market world. You were already doing poorly and struggling before the pandemic ever actually hit. And then the pandemic hits, everything gets shut, shut down, and there's a recovery in places like Europe and China and around some of the developed world, but it doesn't filter all the way down into some of these developing places. So where it looked better in 2021 and the first half of 2022 in, say, Europe, it never really changed in these other places around the world. So as Europe was at least coming out of, or seemingly coming out of the pandemic, because the U.S. got free from its lockdowns and started to look like it was going to actually recover strongly there was at least the hope that maybe that would spill over in the traditional channels to the rest of the world. But as we saw in places like China, more and more 2022 into 2023, the reverse set in rather than the rebound. And that's what came to, that's what the European Commission, the realization they came to later in last year. A year later in November of 2023, the European Commission titled its forecast projections, Autumn 2023 Economic Forecast, a modest recovery ahead after a challenging year. And the challenging year became more challenging because Europe, like a lot of the rest of the world, looked at the disinflation rebound that developed early in 2023 to the middle part of that last year as if that was the actual recovery rebound. And so the projections that Europe put out, like a lot of places around the world, these international agencies, the IMF, WTO, World Bank, and whatnot, they forecast the the second half of last year was going to be the rebound. But as you can see in the projections, as the year progressed, the rebound got weaker and weaker and weaker. Projections began to be trimmed down again because reality was intruding. It was nothing more than a temporary reprieve for a recession that was still ongoing, at least in Europe. So we get to February 2024, last week, the winter update, which is now titled Winter 2024 Economic Forecast, a delayed rebound in growth amid faster easing of inflation, which is even more troubling than what they were saying back in 2022. Because now the economy is weak in Europe and the rest of the world, despite the fact that disinflation is becoming more and more entrenched and it is not leading to the rebound they continue to look it's not even leading to not even leading to the same degree of rebound that we saw last year here's what they said just last week in 2023 growth was held back by the erosion of household purchasing power strong monetary tightening not so much the partial withdrawal of fiscal support doesn't matter and falling external demand, especially where it comes to China. After narrowly avoiding a technical recession in the second half of last year, who cares it was a real recession, prospects for the EU economy in the first quarter of 2024 remain weak. So the rebound that was supposed to help out in Europe is missing. It's absent. It doesn't seem to be showing up. But of course, European officials are confident that it will in the second half of this year. If it didn't show up in the second half of last year, then maybe this year it will. However, as we've discussed before, we don't see that reflected in the marketplace. Bond markets, sure, inversions everywhere in bonds, but also commodities. Oil prices that only go up when there's a geopolitical problem. Copper prices that are stuck in the $3, $370, $380 range not really making a huge move despite aggressive actions in China and this disinflation, which is supposed to help out with real wages in Europe, the United States and everywhere else. Even in China itself, we see commodity prices that are emerging from the spring festival holiday on this US President's Day holiday, really weak. uh, Shanghai rebar rebar futures, for example, multi-month low as faith in the Chinese rebound starts to really erode here. And as the Europeans just said, that's a big deal for more than just China. External demand from China to the rest of the world is a huge part in this globally synchronized recession. The absence of a response to Chinese actions, whether it be fiscal or monetary, we've talked about that before. Monetary. The PBOC has indeed done a lot in the Chinese economy, yet Chinese banks will not lend. That matters beyond China's borders. It matters to Europe, and it matters a lot to emerging and developing markets. Here's what Fitch had to say about about the weakness in China and the prospects for how that's going to impact the global economy. Last year's reopening boost in China will not be repeated, and growth is forecast to slow to 4.6% in 2024. Policy support has been stepped up since August, but this has gained little traction so far in stemming the collapse in housing sales and construction. Doubts about the efficacy of policy easing, in part, downside risks to growth. And this downside risk to a trade uh, environment, which has never really recovered at all. Look at the volume statistics in global trade. And this, this, is, this is the direct channel where weakness in, say, Europe and the U.S. to an extent impacts China and China's internal problems combined with that external weakness to then, get, then become an impediment to the rest of the global economy, trying to desperately to recover from a pandemic after trying desperately to recover from the post-2008 world and failing to do so. Global trade volumes the actual amount of goods sent around the rest of the world has never come back to its pre-pandemic peak. So the more that Europe becomes weak and continues to be in recession and gets worse in recession, whether they want to admit it or not or use the R word or not, doesn't actually matter. It's actually a recession. The worse it gets for Europe the more that's going to mean problems for China. The more China has problems, the more that's going to be a problem for Europe. Less economic trade, less demand for goods from the rest of the world, less economic opportunity for the rest of the global South, which has already, as I said, struggled for a very long period of time. And that's really the big issue with the Great Migration. Up until 2008, there seemed to be a pathway to prosperity. The euro dollar had opened the door to unparalleled prosperity in a way we'd never seen before. So all you had to do was kind of just sit there and wait for this wave of wealth creation to sweep over the world. But then 2008 hit and everything changed. Well, you could convince yourself that maybe it'll get restarted at some point or the Chinese will figure something out maybe in the 2010s to get themselves around all of this, by the time you get to 2019 and then the pandemic in 2020, it seems as if this path to prosperity, a middle-class lifestyle that much of the emerging market world had started to obtain is disappearing and worse. Those countries that had obtained a middle-class lifestyle are now feel threatened that maybe it could just disappear. As global trade fails to recover, which is a primary source of spreading all this wealth creation around the rest of the world, as it fails to recover, that threat isn't just theoretical. It is real. So as Europe suffers a post-pandemic recession that it can't get out of, and now that spreads to Japan, and now we see more problems with China, if you're in the emerging markets, you're thinking, I want to get out of here because there's no way this is going to get any better. And the worse it gets for the rest of the world, the worse it's gonna be for me. So there is the great migration impact on the United States, but we can't forget also that there are direct links to the United States as well. As Paul Krugman of all economists had realized going back to 2016, where it came to Japan, we are all in this together, whether we realize it or not, and whether we like it or not. What he said was, First, we are now in the world of pervasive economic weakness. That hasn't changed in the post-2020 environment. All that did change was CPIs. In many ways, we are all Japan now. This complicates policy for everyone, including Japan. The second point is that the linkages among major economies are strong. They are stronger than much conventional economic discussion suggests. Largely, would argue because of, he calls it capital flows, when we all know this is just a euro-dollar system. The Eurodollar system has stitched together a globally synchronized economy, and when it worked, it worked really well. People were willing to stay put, even in the global south, because that that wave of prosperity seemed within reach. Then 2008 happened, and then the repeated setbacks throughout the 2010s, and that dream got further and further and further apart. Then the pandemic hit, and now we can't seem to get back on the right foot. And that includes the United States, by the way. In its October financial stability report, the Federal Reserve, one of the biggest risks that keeps coming up in all of the surveys to the banking system and the general economy at large, the staff at the Federal Reserve, they keep talking about China, believe it or not. The last FSR report from October said this. In China, a further slowdown in economic growth could increase distress among borrowers and worsen financial stresses. Many Chinese firms are struggling to service very high debt burdens, especially in the property sector, and local governments are also facing increased fiscal strains. Stresses originating from China could spill over to other emerging market economies, particularly those that are dependent on trade with China or on credit provided by Chinese entities. These spillovers could result in significant capital outflows from the EMEs where generally heightened debt levels may make these economies more susceptible to external shocks. Given the size of its economy and financial system, financial stresses in China could also strain global markets more broadly through disruptions to economic activity, deterioration of risk sentiment, and possibly a sharp appreciation of the dollar potentially affecting the US. This is what the Federal Reserve was getting back in feedback. In other words, there are direct economic risks and the people who the Fed is surveying are telling them, we feel that this could be a big problem directly on the United States. But even as the Fed FSR report says and states, the bigger impact is more directly felt around around the EMEs or Emerging Market Economies. And what they're facing is, it's, it's tough to put it in statistics or numbers. The World Bank last year tried its best to really frame the situation without connecting it to the Great Migration, but that's, there's no real intuitive leap here. As the economies around the developed world fail to really recover from 2020 because they failed to recover from 2008, that just continues to add more and more and more pressure on these EMEs. More than three years after the coronavirus touched off the deepest global recession since World War II, the world economy remains hobbled, far short of the strength that will be necessary to make substantial progress on global ambitions to eliminate extreme poverty and such. By the end of 2024, per capita income growth in about a third of the emerging market developing economies will be lower than it was on the eve of the pandemic, a third of EMEs. In these low-income countries, especially the poorest, the damage is even larger. And about a third of those countries, per capita incomes in 2024 will remain below 2019 levels by an average of 6%. That's an enormous loss of income potential. And that was last year, during the part of the, of the disinflation rebound where everybody was thinking the global economy might be getting better from here to maybe take a little bit of pressure off. But as we see to end last year, the global economy ended on a downswing. China, all of its fiscal and monetary efforts have come up short. They failed to reignite another rebound in the same way the reopening last year failed to reignite. That's another headwind. Europe, which was supposed to be rebounding in the middle of last year, now says, well, hopefully we'll rebound in the middle of this year. And though we avoided a recession, we all know they actually didn't. So it gets worse in Europe, it gets worse in China. Japan is now in recession. Japan was supposed to be avoiding all of this. The Bank of Japan was supposed to be hiking rates because the Japanese economy was red hot. More and more economic weakness proliferates around the rest of the world. So even if you believe the United States is free from all of this, GDP and payroll reports suggest the U.S. economy is absolutely invulnerable. And even if that is true, which I don't believe it is, but even if it is true, that doesn't mean we can ignore these massive and growing struggles around the rest of the planet because they are coming to our front door, or our back door, however you wanna characterize it, whether we want to acknowledge it or not. There is a reason for the Great Migration, and that reason goes back to August 9th of 2007. As more and more major economies fall into outright recessions or technical recessions, or they put out statistics that everybody recognizes as, hey, this is a recession, the US can avoid a recession That doesn't mean that it can avoid all of the same trouble. At the same time, all of this is happening, of course, stock markets are surging, whether it be in recession-plagued Europe or recession-plagued Japan. Just talked about that recently. That's the video link below. As always, I thank you very much for joining me. Huge thank you, Eurodollar University subscribers and Eurodollar University members, some of whom you see over here. Until next time, take care.